podcast, every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Welcome to the leadership podcast that we do, and I am Charlie McMahon, and today I'm excited because we're starting a new series we're going to be doing through the summer that I've titled From Lethargy to Energy. We leaders have to bring the juice. That's what's behind this series of thoughts that I've been going through on a personal basis, and I always want to share with you what I'm going through and restudying the the essence of an authentic bringing the juice. When leaders are down, it tends to take the group down, the organization down. When leaders are juiced up, it tends to bring juice to the team, to the group, to the organization. Yet, the context of 2021 is what Adam Grant called languishing. You may have heard by now, but Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist at Wharton College, and he wrote an article a few months ago that was in the New York Times titled, There's a Name for the Blah You're Feeling. It's called Languishing. He said, at first, I didn't recognize the symptoms that we all had in common. Friends mentioned they were having trouble concentrating. Colleagues reported that even with vaccines on the horizon, they weren't excited about 2021. A family member was staying up late to watch National Treasure again, even though she knows the movie by heart. And instead of bouncing out of bed at 6 a.m., I was lying there until 7, playing words with friends. It wasn't burnout. We still had energy. It wasn't depression. We didn't feel hopeless. We just felt somewhat joyless and aimless. It turns out there's a name for that in psychology, and the name is languishing. Languishing is a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. And Adam Grant said it might be the dominant emotion of 2021. We're going to talk about that through this series Grant writes, languishing is the neglected middle child of mental health. It's the void between depression and flourishing, the absence of well-being. You don't have symptoms of mental illness, but you're not the picture of mental health either. You're not functioning at full capacity. And the term was coined by a sociologist named Corey Keyes, who was taking note that many people weren't depressed, but they weren't thriving And that really does define this era right now. Languishing, by the way, is something that, because of the context of the last year and a half, is very shared by many people. We've all had our periods of languishing. As a matter of fact, Grant suggests it could give us a socially acceptable response to, how are you? Instead of saying, great or fine, imagine if we answered, honestly, I'm languishing a little bit. It would be a refreshing foil for toxic positivity, that quintessentially American pressure to be upbeat at all times. That's a great note to take regarding this series. He wrote, in conclusion, when you add languishing to your lexicon, you start to notice it all around you. It shows up when you feel let down by your short afternoon walk. It's in your kids' voices when you ask how online school went. It's in The Simpsons every time a character says, meh. 
I'm okay. So what about that with leadership? What about leadership is draining? And what about ourselves can we notice and take charge of so that we are not languishing leaders? Because, see, we don't have the luxury to languish. We don't. We have a calling to bring our best self, even when we're not necessarily at our best. I know in leadership, the many times that I've regretted and had to apologize are times either when I let my frustration show, let it come out, and I either lashed out or amped up too strongly, or when I didn't manage my emotions. I didn't manage my languishing. So we're going to do this series that is about bringing really our best self and the tools on how to turn ourselves from lethargy to energy. Now, I'm going to try to stay away from nutrition as much as I can because I'm not a nutritionist, but I can't fully because nutrition, how you're eating, exercise, how you're taking care of your physical body are certainly important elements in turning lethargy to energy. I know that uh, ministry, there's a saying, ministry is a series of unresolved griefs. It's so true. I know in my leadership position, you're constantly dealing with loss. I call them the, the big D's of, of defection, division, divorce, disease, death, that all the time you're dealing with these griefs that bounce off one another. And we've all had a lot of grief in the last year. We've all had a lot of loss in the last year. And it's taken our energy. Leadership is a series of unresolved griefs. And leadership takes a lot of energy. I um, think about the story when Jesus was in the middle of a great crowd of people. He was leading, he was ministering, and a woman who had an issue of blood came to him as a last-ditch effort. She had tried everything, and the Scriptures tell us she touched his garment and that was a prophetic fulfillment. The Messiah would have healing flowing from his garments. And she was healed. And do you remember Jesus' response? Who touched me? I felt the power go out from me. To affect other people has an investment of personal energy. There is an investment of our energy into others and it takes a lot. It takes a toll. So all of us as leaders have to know how to manage our energies, how to manage, especially when we're feeling lethargic ourselves and we know there's demand made of us and we have to fulfill that demand as a part of our responsibility and our calling. So today I want to start with this one. One of the important aspects of managing your energy is knowing your story. In one simple sentence, today is about the reminder to know where you've come from, why you are where you are and who you are, and own it. Let me say that again. If you're going to manage your energies well, you better know where you've come from, know why you are where you are and who you are, 
and own that story. Let me give an example that is probably true of many leaders. I know my story, who I am and where I am today, involves a shame context. Now, if you don't know what shame is, shame is basically the human condition that results from the sin entity, the sin virus that's in our world. It affects us in many ways, either the sins done against us or the sins we've committed. It leaves us in a soul state of inadequacy. Now, I grew up in an environment, my dad was what we would today call a half-breed. His mom was full Apache. His dad was full Irishman. He literally came over on the boat as a baby. And my mom was from Appalachia and from a very male-dominant, abusive, religious home. Well, the result of that are two people that had a huge void of inadequacy in their life. My dad tried to fill it through success. My mom tried to fill it through uh, being a mother, loving her family. She had five children by the time she was 29 years old. And today I know that I think she was um, ADHD. I think she suffered from anxiety and depression. I, I, I think there, there are many things that, that happened to her that never got resolved themselves. Well, I grew up in that family. I was the fourth of five children. I was the only boy. And that, that brings with it a number of realities. One is the constant sense that I didn't measure up. So there's a good, a good chance that your story involves, for example, this context. Maybe yours doesn't. But I bet there's some sense in which, as a leader, you've experienced uh, at least a degree of shame's effects. Shame results in trying to prove one's worth, not necessarily to others, although it looks that way, usually to ourselves. And in doing that, it drains us. Shame, of all the things it does, it is a very draining existence. Because when we're recovering from shame, we, we use energy. We use energy, a lot of energy to overfunction. Energy is used covering up, measuring up, and pumping up the self when we could be looking out to others we lead, looking out to other people because our identity has been determined not by what we've achieved, not by our perceived self, but by God. This is a really important thing when it comes to energy, to know your story. And for me, it's been a journey of knowing that I came from a family context of shame and of the pressure to really, really, really measure up to, and for me, in many ways, save my family's name. Professor Claude Steele of Stanford is a social psychologist who wrote about the self-affirmation theory. Now, this is very possible if you today are a Christ-following leader. As you hear what I'm about to say, know that as a Christ-following leader, the truest part of you is the Christ part of you in you. If Christ is your ultimate leader then you can do self-affirmation because you're not really affirming you. You're affirming the Christ in you, and you want that Christ to come out through you energetically in leadership. This is why the Apostle Paul himself, a shame-based recovering person, said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Because it's in that reality that I can self-affirm because it's not me. It's the resurrection power of Christ in me affirming. Now, this is important as a clarification because especially if your story involves shame, you can get into self-affirmation as, I'm good, I'm great, I'm wonderful. Some of you hear the term self-affirm, your mind might go back to where mine goes, and that is the classic skit that was on Saturday Night Live years ago about a mock self-help show called Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. And when he would look into a mirror, Smalley, who was played by the comedian Al Franken, would recite things like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. I'm a worthy human being. And the humor in the sketch was the fact that the more Smalley repeated those affirmations, the worse he felt, leading him to say things like, I'm in a shame spiral. I don't know what I'm doing. They're going to cancel the show. I'm going to die homeless and penniless and 20 pounds overweight, and no one will ever love me. And that was funny because all of us who watched it knew, either through intuition or personal experience, that that kind of self-affirmation usually backfires. It blows up and it backfires on us. Again, I remember Bill Murray's character in What About Bob, Bob Wiley, and he would be scared to death, tethered to the front of the sail, sailboat. I feel good. I feel great. I feel wonderful. And it didn't work. It just made him more aware of his anxiety and his paranoia. That kind of self-affirmation is not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about pumping ourselves up. That's self-aggrandizement. The kind of self-affirmation I'm talking about is affirming in Christ as a leader what my life, who my life is based on, what matters forever as a result of that, and what I value because of that affirmation. It's really cool that the, the... phrase, the infinity game, has come into popularity in recent years because of Simon, Simon Sinek, that the, the cool thing is that those of us who lead as Christ followers know that we've been in the infinity game forever, and that if we tap into the context of our story and what Christ does to intercept that, we realize I've been playing the infinity game and the only thing that ever really drains my energy is when I get into the temporary game and I get mired in the things that don't matter right now, especially the energy it takes to prove myself and to validate myself. And I focus on the eternal game. Let me put it this way. What about Christ is central to my identity as a leader? Every single morning, I've got to tap into that. I cannot let the temporal things of this life that take energy away from me, whether it be criticism, invalidation, override my central identity in Christ. Here's mine. The thing that results from my identity in Christ, that I am channeling Christ as a leader, is be faithful. My central core value that has eternal perspective is it is faithfulness, not flashiness that matters. Now, this is really important because as leaders, we're running a marathon, but we know that one of the things that drains us as leaders is we get evaluated on 40-yard dash times, 100-yard dash times. We know in our head, hey, don't evaluate me on what I did in that 40-yard dash. I'm running a marathon here. I'm running an ultra marathon here. But we know that happens, and it can be draining. Well, for me, you know what brings me back to energy from the lethargy of criticism? 
for uh, the fact that I didn't run a necessarily a good 100-yard dash that last week. It's faithfulness, not flashiness, flashiness that matters. That's what gets me out of bed. That's what gets me energized. Can I be faithful today? I can lose energy because I often can fixate on the 40-yard dash performance that wasn't very good. But my value is the only thing that matters is how well I run my marathon. So for me, because I know my story, I own my story, I know a lot of who I am today is a result of what Angela Duckworth says. Grit is the only true talent that matters. Faithfulness, not flashiness, is what really matters. Guess what I read a lot about? I read books about endurance and perseverance. I am almost always reading about something that has to do with enduring and persevering. I just finished uh, this spring Alex Hutchinson's book, Endure. Fantastic. Right now I'm reading a new book that just came out called Sprinting Through No Man's Land. And it's about the guys who, who left the battlefield of World War I in France and jumped on the bikes and, and rode the Tour de France in 1919. Just stunning levels of endurance. Why do I do that? It's because it brings me from the lethargy of the temporary to the energy of the eternal. And what matters is being faithful, persevering. Psychologist William Kahn studied people who brought the juice in the workplace. They brought the juice. Uh, he did this in 1992. And he, f- I found, he identified four critical dimensions of people who bring the juice consistently. Number one, they are attentive. Number two, they are connected. Number three, they are integrated. And number four, they are focused. When I read that, for me, being reminded of that, is you can be attentive, connected, integrated, and focused if you own your story. You own where you came from. You own the mistakes you've made. You don't judge yourself harshly for the mistakes you made in your 20s or 30s because you know what? That you were doing the best you could then with what you had, but you're able to focus on your core value or values. You're able to focus on, for you as a leader, if you're a Christ-following leader, what matters most is what Christ thinks. What matters most is my channeling his resurrection through crucifixion power in me that is now available to me every day. And William Kahn says, when you do that, I would say this. He says, these dimensions collectively define what it means to be alive. There where you are, where your feet are in the personal fullest sense and fully accessible to your leadership role. I hope today helps you. I hope it helps you as it helps me because I have tools to go from lethargy to energy and they start with my identity, knowing where I came from, knowing where I am and who I am, knowing my story, owning it because of Christ. Until next time on the Leadership Podcast, this is Charlie McMahon. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.